Perhaps one of the most common traits of the human condition is that we want to be in control of everything in our life. We want things to go exactly according to our plan. But perhaps this desire of control is even part of our fallen nature. Could it be? Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that sometimes we feel like control is good. And of course, control can be good. But I want to also submit to you that sometimes control can be unhealthy and not part of what God has for us. Because the reality is, is that sometimes God has a different plan. And sometimes God is going to do something outside our plans. Here's the reality. If everything ever went according to your plan, your works, your ideas, what you do in life, if everything ever always went perfectly, you would be able to take credit for everything. But because things don't go perfectly, you can't. And here's the thing, though, even though we can agree that things don't always go according to our plan, we oftentimes still try to always try and make things go according to our plan. And because there is a part of our fallen human nature that always wants to take credit, that always wants to be exalted, that always wants that um, that 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 attributed to us so that we can say this was us. This was our doing that we were the ones behind it. And so when we get to this place, we're able. Well, what happens is we grow in pride. We grow in this thing called self-righteousness and things of that sort. Today, we're going to talk about this. This is very important, brother and sister. This is going to be one of the most important teachings that you'll ever hear, because what I'm about to tell you if you apply it to your life, you'll be so happy because you'll be able to stand before God and with with a with a clean slate and heart. Because look, what I'm about to tell you can drastically change your situation the day you stand before God. Hey, guys, my name is PD and thank you for joining me today. Accepting the fact that there are certain things that are better left to be in God's hands and outside of our control is an imperative part of acknowledging God's presence in your life. If God, if you do not acknowledge God's presence in your life, you will by nature try and not leave anything for him to take care of. And in life, as we will soon discuss here, there are certain things that we certainly don't want to deal with on our own and don't want responsibility for because we simply aren't able. We can try. We can try and convince ourselves that we can do these things. But if we lie to ourselves and continue on this path, it can it will lead to destruction. And so one of the first things that I want to talk about is something that Paul often talks about in his writings. And you would have often heard about it if you have read his writings. And that is really the topic of salvation itself. You see, we are sinful beings. We have issues and problems. And 
Yeshua, the gospel message is that Yeshua, Jesus Christ, came to die for our sins because someone had to die. It was going to be either you or you allow his sacrifice to stand in the gap, if you will, for you. And so now you can come to the father through that sacrifice where he, your sin was placed upon on Yeshua. And I come before the father in with 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 uh, being as white as snow and clean. However, even though we can nod our head and say, yes, we get this. Amen. Amen. Often we still live our lives as if we don't understand this. You see, brothers and sisters, when we talk about obedience, uh, God's instructions, God's law, um, all things which are good, right? We, we want to be obedient to what God wants us to be obedient to. We want to love the way he loved and we want to please him through our life. However, when we talk about that, we always need to talk also about this very thing, this innate desire that we have to to bring about God's promises through our own means. You see, sometimes we get so focused on having control that we even want control over our salvation to the point where we don't trust God for that anymore. See, we can believe what Yeshua has done for us on the cross, but sometimes it's a little harder to comprehend and put into action in our life how that promise is brought to us. Because, see, the, the scriptures say that we need to believe, have faith in the cross in what Yeshua did. And that's the means of how we get saved. But that sounds so simple. And so what we sometimes try and do is we're like, well, OK, it's yes. OK, but I'm going to work for it. But yes, and, and don't get me wrong. There is a secondary thing here of obedience. Like I started this with, we must be obedient. We must treasure his his instructions. And OK, that's that's a big part of it. But this is not how you get saved. You don't get saved by your obedience, your law keepings, your if that was the case, the Pharisees who were doing the law in the first century when Yeshua walked among them, they wouldn't have even needed him anyway because they were trying their best to keep the law. But why did they need him? What, what, there was a big problem. Their own keeping of the law in of itself was not enough. That was not enough to get them approved. That was not enough to get them, quote unquote, into heaven, like we would say. No, they needed something more. They needed Yeshua. And so it is this 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 the problem the Pharisees had was that they believed in their own works and they held on to their own works. They wanted full control and they wanted all the credit, because if you are if you believe that your keeping of the law is enough to save you, you could take you can take credit for your own salvation. In fact, they even wrote that they even believed some sects at least believed that the blood of your own circumcision that is shed when you get circumcised is what saves you, what makes you clean. So that's your own work. I do this thing and that's what saves me. That's as crazy as a God. That's what they believe. But today it's not that different. 
Today we would do the same thing. We want to have there's this fallen nature inside of us, deep inside each and every one of us that want to take credit for our own works and the things we've done. A good example of this in the scriptures is Sarah and um, Hagar and and Abraham, how God came to Abraham and told him, I'm going to make a promise to you, a promise. Okay, I am going to give you an offspring as many as the stars in the heavens. Now, that's a massive promise. That's a big word. And especially when you're telling it to a very old couple who are way past the age of childbearing. And this is exactly what Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were where they were at. Sarah was old, way beyond the years of bearing children. And so when God told him that they were kind of like nodding. Okay, yes, I believe in the promise that you're going to give us all these offsprings, as many as the stars in the heavens. We believe that, O Lord. But when it came for for where the rubber meets the road and the time started ticking by and the you know days and months go by, they start thinking, well, look, Sarah is really old. She's never going to bear a child again. This is over this. We believe in God's promise. We believe that God is going to do this, but the means by which he's going to do it, we are struggling with. And so what they did is they got uh, the slave woman, Hagar, okay, Ab- and uh, Sarah said, hey, Abraham, I want you to go with Hagar, have a baby with her. And by this, we will fulfill God's promise. We will we believe in God's promise, but the means by which it is accomplished, we will be responsible for. We will do it. We will make our own plan that accomplishes it. That's what they said. And that's exactly what they did. Hagar came along, she bore a child. And that child was named Ishmael. However, this was not God's plan. This was not what God said is the way to go. God had a plan. And this was one of the things that they really needed to give control up on over to the Lord, because God was going to have to do the miracle. So what happened is God brought forth the miracle anyway. He gave Sarah her son, even in her old age. He did the miracle. But now they have sinned because they tried to have control where they ought not to have control. They try to have plans where they ought not to have had their own plans. And so Ishmael, the slave woman's baby, grew up to become a thorn in the side of Israel, the nation of Israel, even to this very day. In fact, God said that this would happen. Uh, In uh, Genesis 16, verse 11, we read, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are a pregnant, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Did you know that Muhammad, the prophet of the Muslim religion, he believes that Ishmael is that, that there are many Muslims, Muslim Arabs who are direct descendants from Ishmael. So literally they are saying that this Ishmael bloodline is where they're from. And this was what God spoke over that bloodline, that they will always be at war. They will always be ha- having their hand against everyone else. 
And that's what they're doing today. That's what's and especially against Israel more than any other nation, perhaps. Okay, so we see that there's there's this thing that when we don't listen to God's promise and the way which he accomplishes that promise, there will be sin and there will be consequences for that. So, brothers, sisters, first of all, with this, I want to tell you, stop trying when you when you keep when you try and keep the law, when you try and keep instructions of the Lord and you try and be obedient, praise God for that. It's amazing. But be so careful about that part of you that wants to be like that, that starts exalting yourself because of what you've done, because of the knowledge you have, because of your own works or because of whatever else you are say about what Yeshua did. Do you understand? That's that's it. Like the thief on the cross did not keep 613 laws. He did not. Yet Yeshua said today, I tell you, you will be with me in heaven. So we try our best as we learn and get convicted of our sin. We repent and we be, we're obedient. But don't get fooled by Satan himself, because this is what this would be. Don't get fooled by Satan himself into thinking that your obedience is to the law is what's going to save you. That if you go to that place in your mind, you're going to fall into the same thing the Pharisees of the first century did who came against Yeshua. The reason that they were so against Yeshua is because they were very comfortable doing things on their own. They were very comfortable without him. They were building their own kingdoms. That's what happens when we start thinking of ourselves as better than others or as qualified or as approved or as whatever because of our own works. Instead of the fact that understand the fact that God has no favoritism, that God approves of us through our belief. And then there will be evidence of works because uh, evidence of works, you know, the, the evidence of our uh, faith will be displayed through our works, of course, but it's faith where it starts at and it's faith where it ends at. OK, so now what I want to talk about next is where this flows into, and that is this whole self-righteousness that we experience. Look, here's the, here's the reality. Um, we sometimes qualify unconsciously our own righteousness by our own works. You see, we, we feel like we can control our own works and we like that. So we try and qualify our righteousness that is established by our own works, as we think, instead of like um, Abraham and Sarah ought to have done is to believe in God for the way that the promise was going to be brought forth. You see, if they if if we if we are like them and we do not believe in the way that the promise is brought forth, even though we believe in the promise, the promise is can can we can be even disqualified from the promise because the way the promise is brought forth, that is by Yeshua, is how you get the promise. If you deny the way of the promise, that is Yeshua, you deny the fact that he did it and that's how you acquire salvation. Okay, th that's how we do it. So let me go on here. When we look at things we do, maybe you keep the Sabbath day 
on the seventh day. Maybe you're celebrating a feast day or maybe you don't celebrate certain pagan feast days. Maybe you wear long tzitzits. Maybe you speak in tongues. Maybe you cast out demons. Maybe you spend hours on the street telling people about Jesus, right? Maybe you go to church every Sunday or Saturday or whichever day you want. Maybe you have long hair. Maybe you have short hair. Maybe you have a theological PhD. Maybe you you keep yourself busy writing academic papers for the Lord and and writing big books that theological uh, people are studying. Maybe you are in ministry. Maybe you are being honored by men because of your career or your riches. Maybe you have been a believer for 20 or 30 or or whatever amount of years, a long time. Maybe you have secret knowledge or you know about extra biblical books and what they say. Okay, I can go on. I can go on. Many of the things are listed, some of which are good things, right? Many times when we do things, works, and can be anything, good things, sometimes even bad things, but things we think are good, whatever, we're busy with things and works, and then the enemy creeps in. And there's a lie that he wants to plant so so dearly in your heart. And that is that, you know what? This work you've done, this disobedience or the knowledge that you've acquired now, that gives you the right to be proud of yourself. That gives you the right to to feel righteous. And even better than that other person who, who does not do that same work and who does not have that same knowledge that you have. You can. And, and then what happens is when we accept this lie, self-righteousness start creeping up and we start thinking of ourselves as better than others. We start looking down upon others that just now we now immediately we, we can't love them anymore because you can't love someone you look down upon. You can only love those whom you are able to serve and look up upon. That's why the scriptures Yeshua said, always consider yourself as lower than others and consider others as better than yourself. Because when you're there, you can love them. But if you think of yourself as, as better, you can't. Brothers and sisters, what I'm talking about here is, is so real. And, and if you can get this, if you can understand the danger of this, if you can guard yourself from this in, 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 in partnership with the Lord, you, there will be so much fruit in your life. Because what I'm talking about is so huge. And it's something that to a degree we will all battle. But if you can overcome it, the fruit that will be established in your life and the and the, the blessing that will come upon your life will be. I can't even describe it. It is so great. There, there is not a lot of things that the Lord values more than a humble heart. Than someone who is able and full of love. OK, so when we think about this, right? Um, people, movements who are that are and when I say movements, I'm talking about like like denominations or, or movements or groups that are religious. Those who, of them who are very focused on truth and and when works and obedience and, and look, I'm not uh, again, don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing having knowledge. The Bible doesn't criticize having knowledge. It warns against having knowledge and that it can puff up. If you don't guard yourself, but also it says 
that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Okay, so I uh, similarly, I'm not saying knowledge is bad. And I'm also not saying that good works are bad. Of course not. But I am saying that we have to guard ourselves with this because the, these movements and denominations and groups of people who are so often so focused on having the knowledge and so focused on having the obedience, the enemy always targets them with this issue of he's trying to put self-righteousness and pride in their hearts because knowledge puffs up. You, you know, oh, you know that this one commandment is actually for today for us to keep and it's going to bless us. But this person next to you who also goes to a church and whatever, he doesn't know that. How dare he not know that? Wow, he's so ignorant. He's so sinful. He's so weak. I'm such a much I'm a much better Christian than he is or she is. And then we can easily start slandering and gossiping and we start speak. When we speak to that person, we have no kindness. We're only rude. We have no love for them because of the pride and self-righteousness that we have. Some of you do not need more knowledge. You need love. Some of us don't need more good works before we understand we need love because you can have all the good works, quote unquote, that you can harbor in your life. But if you have no love, it means nothing. Give all your money to the poor. You have no love. It means nothing. Go and raise the dead. You have no love. It, ra- it means nothing. Go keep as many Sabbath days as you want perfectly. If you have no love, go home before the Lord. It means nothing. And you will stand before him with Lord. I did all these things. He said, did you have love? And if you had no love, you had nothing because that means that even though you did all these good things, the reason you did them was only for yourself, for yourself, gain your self righteousness to qualify your pride in your own eyes. Because when we do things from love, you see, brother and sister, you can do we can talk about a, a singular good work of giving money to a poor man. And if I can do that with no love and I will stand condemned before the Lord because I can do it because I want it to be seen by someone else about how I do it so I can be exalted and praised and honored by men or even for the sake of just praising myself. Or I can give money to a poor man with love, actually not about what I'm going to get from this at all. In fact, I I do trouble to not have myself seen when I want to do this in secret, because I just want to love this person. I just want to care for this person. I want to be like my Messiah was. He made this thing we call a sacrifice. That's what the Lord requires of us. And so now you start realizing that why we do what we do is sometimes even more important than what we do itself. Why we do what we do is often more important than the work itself, because that speaks to why the work was done in the first place and what our heart was behind it. Okay, so brothers and sisters, I want to take a moment and speak about love here. Because I feel like this thing called love is something that many people 
or are quick to say, oh, I have love, oh, I understand love, oh, this is love, oh, that is love. But I think that there are actually very few people that truly understand what love is and what love is not. I, I want to just say first, let, let's just say, what, what is love not? What, what is love not? So what we discussed is that self-gain or self-righteousness, and th that's really the backdrop of, of when we know it's not love. If we're doing things for the wrong reason of self-gain and self-exaltation. Okay, so when we love is not when we compromise the truth for self-gain. So when we when there is a truth that we know is true, but we don't say the whole truth because it's going to make us look bad because we may re not receive as much favor as we would have or for whatever else reason to please and tickle the ear of whoever we're talking to. Okay, that's not love. Okay, that's compromising truth for the sake of self gain. That's not love. But just even though compromising the truth is not love, speaking the truth does not mean that you have love just by that alone. You can speak truth without love. Here's the problem. I have often heard people say, oh, I love them. That's why I tell them the truth in the midst of them speaking rude and hateful in their tone to this person who they're giving the truth to. You see, when we speak truth, that does not immediately qualify it as being coming from love. I can speak truth to someone because I love them and I want them to know the truth because I care for their soul. I can truly and I can even do that passionately. But I can also speak truth to someone because the reason I do it is because I want to be right and I want to prove how wrong they are and I want to win an argument and I want to win a debate and I want to look intelligent and I want to look special and I want to look exalted. The world speaks truth often for the sake of self-exaltation, for the sake of getting their own way in something. You see, this is so like crazy, like we have to be so careful because just because something is true and that is good, we must speak truth. But don't speak truth if the, your motive for speaking truth is for yourself to be exalted. Speak truth because you love the person. Speak truth because your heart is in the right place. Because here's the problem. If you speak truth and you do not love the person, here's the problem. Please listen before you discount what I'm saying. If you speak truth, but you do not love the person, you can do more damage than good. Because if you do not love the person, they will pick it up like that. They will know it. They will see it. And if you I can tell someone Jesus is the Messiah, Yeshua is the Messiah. He died for your sins while I am busy not loving them, while I am busy being a bad example, while I, while I am busy being a gossip to them about gossiping about them to someone else and they see it while I'm busy in sin. I, I would have been better off never telling them who that Jesus is the Messiah because now they associate this person who says Jesus is the Messiah with sin. And now you're dragging the Lord's name through the mud because you have no love. Do you see how uh, the requirement to have love 
is so important. Do you see how if you do not have love, you can speak truth, but actually do more harm than good? I hope you're following me because this is what people are missing. And in this new year we're entering, the Lord is going to require this from us for you to have love in all you do. See, brothers and sisters, the next thing I want to talk about, about what love is not, is sometimes we do favors, we give compliments, we, we nod our head in agreements, you know, we or, or whatever other actions or words, you know, we have. We do it for the sake of self-gain to people. We manipulate. We try and butter people up. What I mean by that is we say things like, Oh, I really love this and this and this about what you do. And, 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 and we, we, we say these things not because we actually love them and what they do, but we say it because we want to gain favor with them so that we can be exalted. You see, this is another example, this buttering up of people, this, this where we're telling people what they want to hear so we can gain favor. But we will only do that as long as we know we're going to get something out of it. So the moment that we realize we're not going to get something out of it, or the moment we realize that this person has seen our sin and has seen what we're actually up to, now we will turn 180 on them and we will start gossiping. We will start working against them. We will start hating them. We will start speaking. You see, that means if, if we're like that, our relationship with them and our motive from the beginning was always to just butter them up for the sake of letting them exalt us. When you are in agreement with people, agree on the things you ought to agree on. Agree on what is true. Agree on what is lovely and kind and worthy of praise. When you give people compliments, compliment them on what is worth complimenting them about. Do not compliment them in their sin. Don't compliment them when they're busy with things they ought not to be busy with. When you do favors for people, do not do favors that aren't worth doing. Do favors that are worthy of praise. Okay, whatever it is, do what you do in integrity. So and not and with the heart of humility and serving instead of a heart of trying to manipulate people into approving of you, even when you know you're up to no good sometimes. Next, we sometimes people care for other people. And this is again what love is not is caring for other people for the sake of self gain again. So we often see this in relationships. And, uh, you know, I, I have seen this, you know, where there's, for example, a man who says, oh, he cares for this lady so much and he and he will he will do whatever for her in the world. But the reason that he's actually there only doing that is only because he wants her and he wants to um, get something out of this instead of I care for her just because I love her for who she is and I care for her, not because I want to get this and this out of her. And the, 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 the how we know that this is wrong, when this is wrong is when the moment that this man then realizes that he's not able to get what he wants, immediately he's going to take a 180 again and he's going to start just turning and, 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 and working against uh, the person he said he cared for 
Again, this is again this thing of manipulation. It's this thing of buttering people up. And love is not manipulation. Love is not when we do things as a person just to get our own way, our own gains out of whatever. Love is sacrifice. And so the last thing I want to talk about here about what love is not before I go into what love actually is, is love is not acting. And, and brothers, before I even say this one, please just just listen carefully, because there are many people who do not understand what I'm about to say. And I want you to really listen carefully about what I say so you don't misunderstand it. OK, so acting love is not acting zealous, rude, without kindness for the sake of being zealous instead of for the sake of love. Let me say that again. You can be zealous about something, but just because you are zealous does not give you does not mean that what you're doing is true, because if you have no true love in your zealous in feeling zealous, that being that zeal, that zealousy or whatever is is not of the Lord anyway. OK, so we must be careful because, you know, I, I know what what people when we talk about zealous being zealous, people always think about Yeshua and people say, oh, Yeshua, he was zealous. Jesus was zealous. He threw over tables and he 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 called, he spoke harshly to the Pharisees and he he did things that were zealous and passionate. And I love passion. I love being zealous for the Lord. I love it. And, and the Lord loves it. But just because you feel zealous and even zealous for the Lord does not mean that it is correct because it's not always correct. We have emotions that run away with us sometimes. And sometimes we start feeling zealous over things we shouldn't be as zealous about. And we start doing things out of anger and hatred because I can feel anger and hatred towards someone and be zealous in the way I treat them and the way I rebuke them instead of doing it from a place of a love for them. And yes, you can have anger for sin and what is what is evil, because that's that God hates what is evil. He and similarly, we should not like evil things. We should have a, an anger for sin. But that doesn't mean we hate people. So here's the problem I mentioned that Yeshua was zealous. Yes, he threw over tables. Yes, he called uh, the Pharisees out on their sin. But consider what I'm about to say here. People often go and they look at that and they're like, oh, look, I can I can throw over tables everywhere I go. Oh, I can call out people like Pharisees, just like Yeshua did everywhere I go with anyone who doesn't agree with me or anyone who I think deserves it. That's not how this works. Listen to me carefully. That's not how this works. Yeshua did not treat. He did not throw over tables everywhere he went. He did not treat everyone like he treated those certain Pharisees. Do you understand that there were only a few like the Pharisees as a whole, the sect of the Pharisees? He did not even treat all of them the same. He only treated some of them the way in that harsh manner. And 
he did not throw over tables everywhere he went, only under certain conditions. Now, what were those conditions? Why did he not act the same everywhere? Because he had love and he understood the people he was speaking to. He loved them. Because look, the Samaritan woman at the well, okay, he's not throwing over tables when he's speaking to her. He is not speaking to her in the same way he spoke to those certain Pharisees who came against God. He spoke to her in gentleness and love and kindness. He spoke truth. He did not compromise the truth, but he spoke in such love that she could not help but go to her town of Samaria and proclaim the gospel to them, to proclaim that the Messiah has come to them. Like, just think about this. If Yeshua spoke to that Samaritan woman in hate, in anger, in how dare you be who you are? And, you know, all this stuff like she would not have responded the same way. Likely he understood that she was not a deceiver, but she was deceived that she was not someone who was putting under others in bondage, but that she herself was one who was in bondage. You see the difference. There's a massive difference, massive difference. You need to see this like the Pharisees who Yeshua came against. He came against them because and he said, for example, you woe to you who put heavy burdens on the shoulders of men. Yet you are not even willing to lift those same burdens with your fingers. Okay, like he is saying you are someone who is putting others in bondage. Woe to you. But this Samaritan woman who was in bondage who was who did not who was in ignorance of her sin ignorance of why she is struggling and why she is thirsty and in need of the living waters he spoke life to her he told her look this is why you are having issues and that's good but he did not say, he did not treat her the same way as he treated those deceivers who were some of those certain pharisees do you see how this can be so dangerous? Because if we think that every time that someone does something wrong, we ought to treat them in such in a very harsh manner, we are not going to be doing the love of the Messiah. Because the reason here's the thing that you need to get from all this. The reason and the way that how Yeshua knew to treat people differently based off who they were, where they've been, what they've done is because he loved them. He treated the Pharisee more harshly, not because he did not love them. Listen, he did not treat them more harshly because he did not love them. He treated them more harshly because that's what they needed. He knew that he needed. That was the only way to have any chance of reaching their heart is by treating them, telling them how things are, that they are in massive trouble if they do not repent. But the Samaritan woman who was not a deceiver, who was just deceived, he treated it with love and kindness because that's what she needed, because she was someone who was just an ignorant sin, who didn't fully understand what she was busy with. He didn't fully understand why she's so thirsty. And so he told her why. And then she herself became that spring of living water. So another example is the adulterous woman who was accused of adultery, right? He he treated her also in the same way with that mercy. So this idea of uh, ignorance 
sin from ignorance and versus intentional sin is massive. It's even in uh, the book of Leviticus with the sacrifices where Israel instructed that they could bring sacrifices for their unintentional sin, but their intentional sin, they could not bring that sacrifice for, but instead they would be cut off. We, we read this, for example, in uh, Numbers 15, verse 31, because he, the intentional sinner, has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. You see, this person, the intentional sinner, someone who is described as having despised the word of the Lord. This means that this person is in rebellion against God. This person knows what is right. But he rebels against God and rebels against God's word. This person is cut off. It's what what is what is spoken of as in in the context of of Numbers and the book of Leviticus chapter four. So we see that even God treated this differently. Intentional sin versus ignorance or unintentional sin. And so we ought to do this, do, do so differently, too. And I want to just add as a footnote here that Yeshua's sacrifice covers all sin when we repent from it, whether it was intentional or not. When we repent, his mercy is enough to cover all of that. So, brothers and sisters, I want to say we shouldn't just answer words, but answer people. Consider the person who is speaking the words. I also want to read here Matthew 5 verse 22. But I said to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. When we talked about what love is not, we discussed and realized that it is always with this undertone of self gain and pride and what we can, you know, what we can get from it. From our works, our knowledge, our actions and our cares and all these things. But what love is, is when we do not do things for our own gain, but rather when we make a sacrifice that is not going to be that is not about recognition, a a sacrifice that is without reward. So, you know, the first thing I would say is that if this is about correcting someone, this is about, you know, telling someone that what is right and wrong, which is a good thing. You need to love that person so much. You need to be willing to die for them. And if you are not willing to jump in front of a bullet for them, then you have no business correcting them. If if you are not willing to die for a person, you have no business even speaking about God to them. You have no business. I would say, please do not. Because if you do not love them to the point of where you're willing to lay yourself down for them, make a sacrifice for them of that sort then your your lack of love for them is going to bleed into your message and to how you treat them, etc. And now, because you're talking about God, you are now connecting your wickedness and how you treat them with the Lord's kingdom. But it has nothing to do with his kingdom because his kingdom teaches us to love. So make sure that when you when you minister to someone and please minister to people, but but you must love them. If you do not love them, do not minister to them, but minister to them and love them. Please do so. So 
Brothers and sisters, we must be willing to die for them. And secondly, we we must speak in gentleness. And let's just read. Let's just let the scripture speak for itself here. Titus three verse two: to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. One Peter three fifteen. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being willing, prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. James 3 verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere. James 1 verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Love is when we sacrifice our self-image for the sake of loving the least. The world looks down upon the least of this world, the poor man, the sinner, whatever else. But we are to love them. We are to make a sacrifice for them. That's what's going to matter so much when we stand before the Lord is that we love the least, that we make sacrifices for the least. Because, see, the people who aren't able to repay you, the people who you have nothing to gain from, the people who don't have money to give back to you or whatever, those are the people. Bless them. Give to them. Care for those people as well. Because that is what that means that you're doing so out of a humble heart. That's not about self gain. But if you give to someone and you expect something back, you expect them to repay you or you expect them to give you some recognition. You expect that. That's like the reason. That's the heart. That's if that's the you know, that's the problem. That's a problem because that means love is absent. You're not doing this out of the sacrificial love that the Messiah had. Rather, again, you're doing this for your own self gain. And this is why the Messiah, for example, did that act of washing the disciples' feet because that was an act of sacrifice, humbling, servitude, showing. Because the disciples couldn't repay him in any way for that. Like that was something. He, you know, that's what Peter was like. No, you can't do that because he felt like, who am I and how could I even repay you for that? And, you know, all this and, and Messiah had nothing to gain. Yeshua had nothing to gain from washing their feet. He's the king of the universe. He doesn't need to wash their feet. But he did. Like, think about that. He has nothing to gain. Nothing. They didn't even expect him to do that. In fact, they, Peter didn't even want him to do that. But yet he did it anyway. Like, because he's God, because he is holy and he is pure and love. Like, that's how he was. So do the things you do. Especially when you have nothing to gain from it. Because that's what is so pleasing in the eyes of your father. And that's why the father expects us, for example... And all aspects of our life to do this, to to give money 
wherever he puts on our heart to give or or to give our time to give our energy to lend an ear to someone to to help someone without pay with right like to do things in life whatever it is that is simply for the glory of the lord and not because you're going to get something out of it and not because you've got something to gain the world we live in i mean just think about capitalist society you know, or whatever. It's always about profit. It's always about what we get. It's always about like doing something for money or doing something for something, right? No, like, you know, the world, they give money away so they can put their name on something and can put their name on a hospital or, or, or whatever. Like that's their way, the reason often that people give on whichever way, or maybe not money, but, but, even time and energy and favors, right? For for the sake of getting favoritism and right, like you get what I'm saying here. Live your life as pleasing to the Lord because He sees it, and and His eyes are the only eyes that will ever matter at the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, everything that you hope to gain in this life will pass away and come to nothing. And the only things that will matter is what will be before him and love is what will be before him whether you loved or not will be before his eyes so let's the next part i want to talk about here as i end off this section of what love is and this is the most difficult part of of what love is is that love is to love your enemies Love is to love those who do not love you back. What profit is there to love those that the world can love? It's easy to love your family or friends, perhaps. It's, it's easy to love those who, are, who love you back anyway. And who, but it's hard to love those who do not love you. And even harder to love those who, in fact, hate you and do things against you. To try and and, and, and and destroy your reputation or to whatever they do against you. Those who have set themselves up as enemies against you. It's hard to love them. But Yeshua hanging on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. They don't understand what they're doing. And so uh, Matthew 5.43, he says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do not allow sin against you to produce sin in you. Brothers and sisters, people will betray you. People will sin against you in this life. It's it's horrible. I, I, I have experienced it. Many of you have experienced it. And many of you will experience it, experience it again in the future where people sin against you and, and, and cause hurt. And uh, it can be horrible. This life is horrible. And what people, what human beings do to one another, it's it's. You, we can't even speak about half of it because of how horrible it is. But yet the Messiah has forgiven all of us who repent, no matter how deep and dark our sins were. And so we need to have forgiveness in our hearts towards people because that's going to set us free. It's going to help us to not live in bondage ourselves because that's what unforgiveness does. It doesn't put that other person in bondage. It just puts ourselves in bondage and it comes between us and God. So um, what I want to say here is just read uh, Matthew 5 verse 23. 
if you're offering your gift at the altar and they're remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift do your best i know that it's not always possible to reconcile with people um, if the other person does refuses reconciliation and refuses to make things right you know um, and have peace between the, the both both parties what can you do except do your part do your part of saying our door is always open my uh, I uh, I have you're always welcome to come to me. I am not against you. I'm not shutting my door to you. I might my, my door of reconciliation is open. If this person then denies you access to that, well, what what can you do? But you do your part. You make sure that you have done your best. And then we just have to recognize that reconciliation does take two parties. We do our best, and that's what the Messiah desires of us. We we can't control other people, but we can do our part. And in that, he will be exceedingly pleased, and then we can go on with our life um, and continue in his blessing. So, brothers and sisters, we've discussed a few things here, right? We've We've talked about many things. But what I want you to take away from this as I end this in concluding, my concluding thoughts, are simply that, our flesh, our fallen nature, desires control. It desires exaltation. It desires to have gains in this life and things of that sort. The thing, all the things that are in opposition to love and what love is. But we must shift from our flesh to living in the spirit. We must shift from pride to humility. We must discipline our flesh through prayer and fasting and renewing of our minds through the reading of the word so that we can grow in humility. Brothers and sisters, it takes one of the greatest things of creating humility in our lives, I have found, is to, to, to be in front of our face before the Lord. And I'm talking about physically getting your face on the ground in prayer before the Lord every day. When you do that, you are reminding yourself, your soul, your flesh, and everything in you that who who God is and that you are not God, that you are not supposed to be in control of everything and that there are some things that are better left to his control and that there are some things that you can't take credit for and should not take credit for. And I want us all to remember as I end this here, that everything that we know that is good about God is by his grace. It's not by our own works. It's not by our own doings. He has revealed himself to us. The Bible says that no one comes to the Father. No one comes to him. No one. No one comes to the Son unless he is drawn by the Father. All right, so the Holy Spirit draws us and the Holy Spirit reveals things to us. But if the Holy Spirit has done it, how can we take credit for it? How can we think of ourselves as better than someone else? How can we talk down on someone else or any of that if it is not us who even got it from ourselves? Or if even on top of that, more importantly, we didn't even receive it because of it's what we deserve. Brothers and sisters, if you want what you deserve, go to hell. And I'm not I'm not trying to speak nasty here. That's that's the truth. If you want what you deserve. Go to Gehenna, go to the pit, go to the fire, because that's what we all deserve. What we have received is abundant mercy. 
and grace, all the knowledge, all the Although maybe you've been able to repent from sins and turn from sins by the help of the Lord. It's been the Lord that's guided you and helped you. And yes, you said yes to him. Praise God for that. But he's the one who brings deliverance. He's the one who brings revelation. He's the one who produces good works in us by his Holy Spirit. He's the one who brings that knowledge to us of what is good and what is evil. So let's not dare to take credit for it. And then let's not dare think of ourselves as better than anyone else because of it. Brothers many of us, many of us, if not all, have struggled with this at some point. And so I think that this is a good opportunity as we enter this new year of 2021 to come and let's just say we're going to change things in, in our life. We want to start turning away from pride and these unrighteous thoughts. Lord, I ask, Father, that you would forgive us for our sins and transgressions. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would forgive us for our pride when we have acted towards a Samaritan woman the way that we ought not to have. When we have acted towards people who are simply in ignorance and who were deceived in ways that we should not have. When we have been harder on, harder on them than we should have. When we have been... Uh, disrespectful when we have had hatred and anger and, and and no love and no kindness and when we have maybe even spoken the truth but without love father if we have done these things i ask for forgiveness we ask for forgiveness for that we ask that you would cleanse us from this unrighteousness lord help us to give up control where control needs to be given up lord help us to live in humility and not take credit for things we ought not to take credit for. But help us to give glory where glory is due. And that is all to you. Lord, we thank you for all you have given us, Lord. And we know that it is not by our own doing, Father. Lord, we ask that you would reinforce that and remind us of that. That your mercy is why we can even be here. And why we can even speak about you and not be in a separate a place that is separate from you. Lord, help us to grow in righteousness and kindness and love and mean humility and set apartness. Lord, help us to treat people the way you treated them. Help us to treat people the way you treated them. Help us to treat them in that love of Father. Forgive them. They don't know what they do. Even when they're against us. Even when they're our enemies. Even when they gossip and slander us. Lord, I ask Father for your forgiveness, Lord. And mercy, Lord. And we pray right now for all of our enemies, Lord. We pray for all of them who have um, slandered us, Lord. We pray for all of them who have tried to make plans to, to help us fall into a ditch. We have for all of them who have who have backstabbed us, for all of them who have um, uh, sinned against us in, in abuse, in traumas, in Lord, all the ways you know, Father. Lord, we ask, for, we, for, we ask that you would forgive them, Lord, and we come and we say we choose to forgive them as well so that we can be free today. Thank you, Lord. All I can say, Lord, is thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you give us and all you provide for us. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen.